weeks ago series that we titled Walking in Peace. And one of the reasons I really felt led to do that is because although we may have all learned how to put on smiles and faces, carry ourselves as if there's everything in them, sometimes we just have to do that. At the end of the day, I don't think there's ever been a generation that battles more stress, anxiety, fear, depression as this generation. And it doesn't really matter if age. It's not just adults, it's also young adults. It's not just young adults, it's also teenagers. I've never seen a generation in which teens and preteens are battling with more stress and more anxiety and even depression than this generation. So if there's ever been a generation that needed to learn how to walk in peace, I believe it's ours. The good news is, and our key text for this entire series is Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. I'm here in Greenland, so I don't know if you're here. Oh, okay, we, we hope not. Uh, okay. But uh, verse 15 of Colossians chapter 3, it says, Let the peace of God rule in your heart, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. And that's our text for this entire series, Let the Peace of God Rule. And I love that it begins with, number one, that's a command. God saying, let this be, let this happen. In the same way he says in John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. It's a command for us to do something a certain way. But if God commands something, that means that he empowers us to do that which he commands. It would be unjust for him to ask us or make a command or a demand of us if he doesn't then empower us to do that which he commands. Because God knows, as a matter of fact, the scripture says, in our flesh dwells no good thing. That there's nothing that's possible without the help of God, without the assistance and the aid of the word of God and the Holy Spirit. So when he says, let the peace of God, and notice that too, it's the peace of God. It's not your own peace. It's not just a human peace. Because human peace is completely dependent on the circumstances that we're in. And the peace of God is totally independent of the circumstances that you're in. We define peace as being not an absence of conflict, but a confidence in the presence and the power and the promise of Christ. So we know that no matter what we're going through, God's word remains the same. We know no matter what we're going through, God's promise is still the same. We know no matter what we're going through, God's presence is still there with us. Hebrews 13, 8 says Jesus Christ is, never, is always the same. He never changes. Yesterday, today, forever. Jesus is always who he's always been. So let the peace of God rule in your hearts because that's what we're called to. And that's what's important for you to understand. You are called not to live in despair, not to live in fear, not to live in stress and anxiety and oppression and depression. You're called to live in peace. And then we talked about Philippians chapter 4 where it says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made unto God, and then the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God passes all understanding. It goes beyond the natural. It goes beyond the human level into the supernatural level. Today I want to look at Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 as we begin and carry on in this series. It says, finally brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, 
whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, think or meditate on these things. Now, if you've been here very long, you've heard me preach from that scripture reference before, and you've heard me say this. God absolutely tells you how to think. I know a lot of times we get upset because we don't want people to tell us how to think, but God tells us how to think. He says, if it's not pure, don't let your mind stay there. If it's not praiseworthy, don't let your mind stay there. If it's not right and virtuous and noble, don't let your mind stay there. If it's not of good report, don't let your mind stay there. You and I are not in control completely of every thought that enters our mind. You can be standing in line at the grocery store and all of a sudden a conversation that you hear beside you or something that you see on one of the tabloids as you're walking through just strikes a thought in your mind. That just happens. But you are responsible for whether you allow that thought to remain. And the reason I'm focusing on this as we get started today is because the battle for your peace is in your mind. That's where the battlefield always has been and is always going to be. It's where you allow your mind to stay. It's the, that's what determines whether you're going to truly walk in peace as you're called to or not. I want to start today with a, finishing this series by talking about some practical steps, just some everyday steps that God has taught me through the years to enable us to stay in a place of peace instead of walking in turmoil. Number one, don't compare yourself with others. Now, that's a big deal in our generation. We live in the most self-obsessed generation that probably has ever existed. A lot of the blame for that goes to, I guess, social media. We are always, as a matter of fact, it's interesting because you could see a family on vacation if you could just be in the background of that family on vacation before they take their selfies so that they can post all of their vacation pictures online so that everybody can know where they were. And I'm, I'm not against that. I like to follow you wherever you've been, see, see that you're having a good time. But the truth is, a lot of times, you're, if you could see behind the scenes, you're arguing and you're angry and you're upset and everything. And then you say, everybody smile and everybody goes from anger to... But here's the problem. Everybody else at home looks at that picture and they say this, wow, I wish I could go on vacation. Look at that. They are always, listen, always so happy. Look at that. They are always smiling. Look at that. They're always going here and doing this and doing that. And they have such a good family and such a good time. And they just love each Just look at that. Look at those beautiful smiles. They just love each other so much. What we don't realize is what we're getting is just simply the highlight reel of their life. I promise you that they're not always having a good time. I promise you that they're not always smiling. As I said at the beginning, they may have just been into it like no other five seconds before they snapped the selfie on the beach or in front of the castle. But no matter where they are, what they're doing, what they show you is their best. What they leave out is the rest. But when we compare our life with their highlight reel, then we begin to walk in resentment. We begin to walk in confusion. We get angry. We begin to walk in despair. And we begin to have self-pity because we're comparing our everyday life with their 
highlight reel. Don't compare yourself with others. Be at peace with who God has made you to be and what God has called you to do. And don't worry about anybody else. Do you remember this story? I think it's in John 21 where Jesus, after his resurrection, has appeared on the beach. The disciples, for whatever reason, we don't know for sure, decide they go out fishing again. And they've been out fishing all night, and like another story early in Jesus' ministry, they hadn't caught anything. And Jesus calls to them from the beach, and he's already got fish roasted on the beach. Where he got those fish, we don't really know, but he's got breakfast ready. And he calls them to come in. And he tells them if they caught anything, he has them lower their net on the other side to bring in a great load of fish, which reminds them that Jesus had done that before. And all of a sudden, Peter says, whoa, it's the Lord. And so he jumps in while the others have to row in with the catch. He avoids the hard work, and he jumps in and swims to shore to see Jesus. But on the shore, Jesus asks him a question three separate times. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter answers in the affirmative. He says, Peter, do you really love me? Peter answers in the affirmative again. And then finally, a third time, he says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, well, Lord, you know. And every time he answers it, Jesus tells him to feed his sheep. And then right, and interestingly enough, it's not the purpose of the message today, but Peter had denied Jesus. You remember around the courtyard, around the fire, the servant girl said, you were with him also. And Peter said, no, I don't know the man. Three times he denied him after swearing to Jesus in the upper room that he would, if everybody else forsook him, he never would. And Jesus gives him now three opportunities once again to affirm the fact that he loves him. I believe Jesus was restoring Peter, bringing, bringing a restoration to his relationship. But what I really want to focus on is what happened next. As, as they're walking along, Jesus is explaining to Peter what his future will be. And he tells him prophetically that one day, right now you go where you want to go, you have the freedom to do what you want to do, but one day... It's not going to be that way. They're going to bind your hands and they're going to bind your feet and, and people are going to, basically, you're going to, you're going to truly give up your life for me like you said you would. And then Peter does something interesting. He looks over at John. After Jesus has told him what his future would be, Peter looks over at John, the beloved, the one who leans his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. And he says, what about him? And then Jesus gives a very interesting statement to Peter. He basically says this, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase it. He says, don't worry about him. You just take care of you. This conversation is not about John. This conversation is about you. Can I tell you what the Holy Spirit will never, ever do? And you think he does, but he doesn't. He will never call you into his presence to point out the failures of anybody else. Do you know why? Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren, not the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will not use Satan's tools to do his job. A lot of Christians will get into their prayer closet and the Holy Spirit's wanting to focus on something that needs to change in their life. But because they're uncomfortable with that, instead of listening to that, they begin to think about everybody else and what they need to change and what they need to do. And they will sometimes walk out of that thinking, well, the Holy Spirit just put so-and-so on my heart. Bless the Lord. God's given me the gift of discerning of spirits. No, that's not true. Satan gave you the gift of criticism. And you walked out of the prayer closet and then you carried on with the sin of 
gossip. And then you shared it with somebody else because anytime you're talking about somebody else's problem, when they're not there in your presence to fix the problem, you are gossiping and that is sin. And then you carried your unforgiveness and your resentment and your bitterness on into your life and instead of letting the Holy Spirit deal with you, you shifted the focus and you will go on where you are and what Jesus would really say to you is, we're not here to talk about them. I will deal with them. Let's talk about you. If you want to walk in peace, don't compare yourself with anybody else. Not the good and not the bad. We have a tendency to do that. When the Holy Spirit wants to focus on something that needs to change in our life, we have a tendency to point out something that's worse in somebody else's life. So when conviction is hitting our heart, we have a tendency to say, well, that may be true, but hey, at least I don't do that. And at least I don't go there. And at least I'm not like them. This conversation is not about them. This conversation is about you. The Holy Spirit doesn't talk to you about them. The Holy Spirit's talking to you about you. The Holy Spirit wants to change your life and their life. But he's going to talk to you about your life. Don't compare yourself with other people. If you look at all of the good things, many times you'll put yourself in a category where you don't feel like God can use you. Well, I could never be like them. Well, they're always praying. Well, they always have peace. Well, they always have an anointing. Well, they always have the right words to say. Number one, that's not ever true. Can I just give you a little clue? Just something somebody told me years ago, and I, I learned to, that it's true. Anytime you put the word always in front of anything, it, it's not going to be true. <laughs> they're always like, no, they're not always like that. They always do. No, they don't. No, they don't. Good, bad, doesn't matter. It's not always. There's only one who is always faithful. His name is Jesus. There's only one who is always true. His name is Jesus. There's only one who is always holy. His name is Jesus. There's only one who is truly good, and his name is Jesus. We need to understand that and not compare ourselves with other people. If you need some scripture and verse on that, turn with me real quick to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Here's the problem. When we start comparing ourselves with other people, we're always going to walk in a realm of dissatisfaction. And we'll never walk in peace. Because I don't care how good you are or how faithful or how obedient you are being to God. You will always find somebody who seems to be doing more. I don't care what great victory you've had, just give it long enough and somebody else will seem to have a greater one. I don't care what kind of experience you've just had in God, just give it about 24 to 48 hours and you will read on Facebook that somebody else had a better one. At least it appears that way. So if we are comparing ourselves, we are always going to be dissatisfied. And if we're always walking in a spirit of dissatisfaction, then we're never going to walk in peace. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you want to look with me at verse 12. The Apostle Paul said, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. We, however will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed to us, a sphere which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. We're not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. 
to preach the gospel in that region beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. Notice verse 18. For not he who commends himself is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. Paul said we're not going to do like everybody else and compare ourselves with other people. And something else that's important. He says we will not move beyond the sphere of what God's called us. Do you know how we could paraphrase that today? You've probably heard this. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm not going to get over in yours. You see, here's the thing that some Christians don't get. God actually is a God of variety. Look around you. Nobody in here looks the same. Nobody has the same personality. Nobody comes from the same background. Nobody has the same likes and dislikes. All of our tastes are different. And God made us that way on purpose. Do you know why? Because there's a great big world out there that needs Jesus really, really bad. And out in that great big world, there are people with all kinds of different personalities and tastes and backgrounds. And I would be willing to say that probably for every taste and personality and background and experience out there, somebody in the body of Christ will fit that person and be able to identify with that person and speak to that person's life unless we decide to start comparing ourselves with other Christians and stop being who God called us to be so that we can try to be who they are, which God did not call us to be. Or we'll compare ourselves with somebody else and think a little more highly of ourselves than we ought to, which the Bible also tells us not to do. And we'll decide that anybody who doesn't meet up to our standard is less than. And therefore, we'll decide that my ministry is the best ministry. Therefore, everybody who is a Christian ought to care about what I care about. Therefore, if I'm an intercessor, then everybody ought to be an intercessor. Forget praise and worship. Forget fellowship. Forget evangelism. That's lesser than, bless God, if you are spiritual, you're going to be an intercessor. Or, no, 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 pastor, it's all about missions. It's all about evangelism, bless God. Forget praise and worship. Forget prayer and intercession. All of that is for other people who aren't quite as spiritual as me because I'm, we all, if we're serious about it, are called to evangelism all the time. Or you name it, we claim it, that's what's important. And we start comparing other people by our standard. Can I tell you something? Nobody has to measure up to your standard because your standard isn't good enough. Not on your best day. On my best day, I don't even get close. My standard is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I can never reach that, so thank God I don't have to. He made him who knew no sin to be made sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So because I couldn't reach that standard, he took his own righteousness and put it on my account. That's what faith in the person of Jesus Christ is all about. So therefore, what God's called me to do is what... Now there are some things he's called every Christian to do. We're all called to pray. But there are some people who really are called to pray. We're all called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with our neighbors. But there are some people who are called to do it day and night all the time. Billy Graham was one of those folks. But not everybody's Billy Graham. So it's important for us that we not compare ourselves with other people. Good or bad. It's important for us to know the sphere that God has called us to. Do what God's called us to do. And bless the Lord, let everybody else do what God's called them to do. 
celebrate their victories and let them celebrate yours. Weep with them when they weep and rejoice with them when they rejoice. Isn't that what the Bible tells us to do? But stop comparing yourself with other people, good or bad, because you'll never walk in peace as long as you do. And unfortunately, if you're like a lot of Christians, you'll never let anybody else walk in peace either. Because about the time they're starting to have peace about where they're going, you're real quick to show up to tell them that it's not good enough. So not only are you not walking in peace and you're miserable, you feel like your ministry is to make everybody else just as miserable as you are. I heard somebody just the other day say that somebody told them, and I've heard this all my life, but I've never ran into anybody personally that had felt this way. But he's telling me that somebody in their church said that they wanted everybody to just have the same thing they've got and said so they looked around at their church on Sunday morning and looked how miserable everybody looked to be and decided that they ain't nobody who wants what you got. Why would they want what you got? You're miserable and you're angry and you're confused and you're upset and you can't get along with one another. If you want to walk in peace, we have to win the battle of the mind. And the first battle of the mind I think we have to win is coming to an understanding that we are who we are because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And what Jesus has done is more than enough. It's enough for me. And therefore, I'm not anybody's standard. Jesus is everybody's standard. So I will understand that my desire is just simply to be well-pleasing to him in everything that I do. I'll find what God's called me to do, and I'll do it with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'll let everybody else find what God's called them to do. And I'll let them do it with all their heart and mind and soul and strength. And other than that, I'll stay in my lane. Because quite frankly, <laughs> I don't have time for the drama. How many of you are about that point in life? I don't have time for the drama. Man, there's enough drama in the world without anybody else trying to help me out. So don't un we don't have time to walk in discouragement or fear. Another thing, and this also battles, it's a battle of the mind. Don't judge other people just because they're different than you. And I'm not talking about sin here. Don't get me wrong. Understand something. If the Bible says something's sin, it was sin then, it's sin today, and it's going to be sin forever. And so let, let me just make a clear statement so that everybody in our church knows where I stand. Abortion is murder. It is a sin. It will be a sin if our, thankfully our state's going the right direction. It'll be a sin if our state were to someday decide that it's okay. It's a sin because God said it's a sin. The Bible makes very clear that life begins in the womb. It begins at conception. So abortion always has been, is now, and always will be a sin. Not only that, homosexuality is a sin. It was a sin when, when God wrote about it. It's a sin now, and it'll be a sin forever. That's because God said it is. That's a fact. Doesn't matter what society says. Doesn't matter how the Supreme Court rules. It's still a sin. Matter of fact, <laughs> sex outside of marriage is a sin no matter how you slice it, it's still a sin. The, the, any kind of sex outside of marriage is a sin. All the time. Was all the time, is now, and always will be. You can say culture has changed. Doesn't matter if culture has changed, it's still a sin. Now you say, wait a minute, what are you Understand this. I thought you were talking about not judging other people. See, here's the thing. Why does God identify something as sin? Because he's mad at people? Because he understands something. Sin destroys people. And the reason God labels things as sin is the same reason parents will tell their little children, don't touch that. Why do you tell your kids not to touch something that's red hot? Because if they do, they will get what? Hurt by it. 
So you tell them not to touch or do certain things, not because you're angry at your kids, but because you love your kids. You tell your kids to look both ways before they cross the street, not because you don't want them to always, never be able to go any farther than where they are right by your side, but because you don't want them to get run over, you don't want them to get hurt. And because you love your kids, you set parameters and boundaries for your kids. Not because you're angry with them, because you love them. You know that no matter how bad your kid wants to eat a whole tub of ice cream before they go to bed, that it's not a good idea. You know they're going to pay for that. And so you tell them no, not because you don't want them to enjoy the pleasure of the ice cream. You tell them no because you know they've got to take it in whatever moderation is necessary because if they eat it all at one time, they're going to hurt because of it. God loves, so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. So he labels certain things that he knows will destroy people's lives. And he says, stay away from this. Don't touch this. Now what happens if they do? Oh, God hates them. No, he does not. And if God doesn't hate them, neither should you. See, this is the balance. <laughs> I'm willing to say all day, every day that certain things are sin. That never changes. But I'm also willing to say all day, every day, you better love the sinner. Because Jesus does. You do not have a right to step back and not care about people because of their sin. When you do that, you are not like Jesus. As a matter of fact, you have now stepped over into sin. So let's call it like it is. Let's just be balanced about that. You see, God always pursues the sinner. Aren't you glad God pursues the sinner? Weren't you a sinner that God pursued? Yeah, but my sin wasn't like their sin, bless God. Your sin put Jesus on the cross. How bad was that? There's that comparison thing again, isn't it? We're comparing our sin with their sin. We're saying that ours wasn't as bad as their sin. And see, that's why the world sometimes can't stand the church. Because, you see, we gloss over our sins. We'll slice and dice people at lunch on Cracker Barrel. I mean, we'll come right out of church and gossip like there's no end to it. And you know, that's sin too. Some of you can't even wait till you get out of the church building to do it. And that's sin too. But, oh, that sin's no big deal. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It may not have as destructive an effect immediately on you and your family. But boy, does it not have a destructive effect on other people. And does it not have a destructive effect on the church of Jesus Christ? And by the way, that's his bride. I'd be real careful about saying things about his bride. I've said this before. I'll say it again. You can say a lot of things about me, but you better be careful if I hear you saying something about my wife. <laughs> I ain't going to like that too much. That'll bother me a whole lot more than you saying something about me. She's my bride. I love her. The church is his bride. Oh, now let's get into the crowd who always likes to criticize the church. Oh, church can't do nothing right. Church don't love. Church don't do this. Church, be careful what you say about the church. That's still his bride. Be careful how you criticize the church. That's still his bride. Don't compare yourself and don't judge other people who are not just like you. Love them. You see, we can judge sin as being sin. 
You should be able to say this is right and this is wrong. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. You need to know that. The Bible also says that you can tell a tree by its fruit. So you can judge, and by the way, specifically it's talking about ministries. You can judge ministries, you can judge other Christians, not about their soul or their worth to God or that whether you should love them or not, but you can judge whether what they're doing is of God or not by the fruit. Are they manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness? Or are they manifesting the works of the, of the flesh, which, which are filled with anger and pride and jealousy and all those type of things? You can judge fruit, but you do not ever get the right as a child of God to judge the worth of somebody's soul or to judge whether or not they know the Lord or not. See, some people are Christians who are struggling desperately. I've met people who got saved and they got delivered instantly. I've also known a lot of people who got saved and struggled for years. I mean, they, they wanted to be free and they, they, would, they would be free and get free and stay free for a while and then boom, they go back and then they get free and stay free for a while and boom, they go back. They're always convicted and they're always praying and they're always growing and they're always moving forward. That They love Jesus, but they struggle a little more than somebody else. That's your brother or sister in Christ. You do not get the right to judge their heart. And when you do that, you say, well, I thought you were talking about peace. Well, see, you can't walk in peace like that. Did you know the Bible tells, Jesus actually said this. Well, you don't hear this verse preached on very often, so let me touch it for a minute. Jesus said when he was talking about the Lord's Prayer, he had said in the prayer, forgive others as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. But we mess this a lot of time because we just skip over it because it makes us uncomfortable, quite frankly. Jesus then at the end of the prayer says, if you don't forgive others their trespasses against you, I will not forgive you your trespasses. Well, you know, Pastor, I don't really think he meant that. Oh, he didn't? Well, he sure did say it, didn't he? He said it. He said, I want you to forgive and love people the exact same way I've, to the same measure, I've forgiven and loved you. Do you know you didn't deserve his forgiveness and neither did I? You see, if you're not walking as far as it pertains to you, and the Bible tells us this, as far as it pertains to you, walk at peace, in peace with others. Now, some people don't want to walk in peace with you. You could stand on your head and twirl in circles 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and they still won't walk in peace with you because flat out they don't want to. You've done everything you can do. But that doesn't mean that you can't, as far as it pertains to you, walk in peace with others. Because if you're not walking in peace with others, you don't have peace of your own. So we have to be very careful about our judgment with others. Because, see, we're impressed by outward appearances. Somebody can come in just all calm and peaceful and sing the songs the right way and raise their hands the right way and sit down at the right time and stand up at the right time and do all the right things. With oh, bless the Lord. They are so spiritual. Do you know what? They may have come out of the womb that way. They may have just, their whole personality is peaceful. They've been that way as long as they lived. It don't matter what's happened. Nothing shakes them up. Nothing riles them. Nothing. It's not hard for them. It's just the way they are. The sad thing about it is they don't have passion about anything. We can be talking about Jesus died, Jesus bled, Jesus gave you everything, and they're still just... Now, somebody else, on the other hand, they lived and grew up in an environment and atmosphere that you can't even begin to imagine. Every word they ever heard from their parents was nothing but criticism. 
It was nothing but anger and anxiety. Their, the volume that they heard their parents talk to each other was always way up here. Maybe things were always thrown around and slammed around in their house. Maybe they never knew one moment of peace all their life. And the easiest thing for them is to live what they saw, to live what they learned, to get riled up and tore up about everything until they got a hold of Jesus. Never bothered them before they got a hold of Jesus. But then Jesus touched their life and they realized, you know what, that's not right. I shouldn't do that. And so therefore they start praying and seeking God about how to live and they get better and they're not but every once in a while on a bad day every once in a while that 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 they grew up in and do and it just comes flowing right out of them before they ever knew what was coming and nobody is more upset about it than them but you will see that and you will immediately make a snap judgment well that person's not very spiritual bless God they need to be more like this person over here. And if you could just see the mind of God, you would actually understand that that person is seeking after God harder than the person over here that never would raise their voice ever because that's just their personality. See, it's easy for that person to be like this. It's very hard for the other person. See, some people, it's hard. it is faith for them to be walking and talking today. For some people who came in this room today, it took all kinds of faith just to get up and be here. And sometimes we'll judge somebody because maybe they're not just doing everything the way we want them to do or the way we think. But you see, it may be harder for them just to be here than it is for you to go through all the mechanics that you're going through. See, you can't make a proper judgment because what are you doing again? You're comparing and therefore there is no peace. Because don't you get riled up about people sometimes? And can I ask you something? When you're riled up about people, are you walking in peace? So if you want to walk in peace, not only do we have to stop making comparisons and win the battle of the mind, we have to stop judging people by standards that were not God's standards. And even if people are walking in sin, we're still called to love people. We have to understand that. And finally, if you want to live in peace, don't be impressed by praise and don't be depressed by criticism. Take them both for what they are. You can learn from constructive criticism. Quite frankly, you can learn from destructive criticism. <laughs> Sometimes they're right. I don't ever like to be criticized. The reason I don't like to be criticized is because basically I'm timid in nature. My basic personality trait is to be shy. You've heard me say that. So when, when I find out that I did something wrong, <laughs> it always bothers me more than you could ever know. But I've learned through the years that sometimes criticism's correct. But I've learned not to live in the criticism. Because no matter the purpose for the criticism, my main point is to find what God wants me to learn from the criticism and move on. Because I realize God doesn't want me to live there. But the other thing I've tried to learn to do is not to be impressed by praise. Because number one, praise is not always true. See, there's a lot of reasons people could say good things about you. People can say good things about you because they want something from you. They may not mean a word they're saying. They just want something from you. People can say good things about you because, you know, they're, for all kinds of reasons. Or it may be true. But at the end of the day, if it's something good, who gets the glory for that anyway? 
if it's truly good, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from God the Father, the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. So he's the reason for anything that's truly good. So the praise goes to him. And if somebody says something bad, even if it's true, then God's the one that's going to have to give me the courage and the strength and the wisdom and the ability to change that area of my life. So don't be impressed by praise. Don't be depressed by criticism. Just take them both for what they are and understand that all of us live and breathe because of the grace of Jesus Christ and we're only looking for one well done I'm not looking for well done from you because it doesn't matter even if you think something's well done that's not the ultimate well done I'm looking for one when I stand before my father in heaven and he says well done thou good and faithful servant enter into the joy that is prepared for you that's the only well done any of us should be looking for and if we will live our lives that way we will be more apt to walk in peace. I want you to look over at one other verse of Scripture with me before we close today, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is where Paul talks about the different gifts of the Holy Spirit that are distributed to the body of Christ. And I want to read at length here, so just follow along in your Bibles with me, if you will. Beginning in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 12, it says, There are differences of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So every gift that God gives is given for the building up of the entire body. He lists then all the different gifts of the Spirit, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, tongues, interpretation of tongues, faith, gifts of healings, prophecy, and such. Verse 11, though, it says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each individual Christian as he desires, or as he wills. What I want to really get you to see is verse 12. For as the body of Christ is one, but has many members, but all the members of that one body, though being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set, fixed, placed the members, each one of them, individually in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? I want you to look at one other verse at the end of 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 29, it says, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healings, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? The given answer for that is no, but some do. Do all prophesy? No. But some do. Do all have gifts of healing? No. But some do. Do all speak with tongues? No. But some do. Is everyone a teacher? No. But some are. Verse 31. But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. In 1 Corinthians 13, you know well, is what that flows into. And it's all about love. How we love one another. Notice 1 Corinthians 12 Paul goes into great detail 
to say there are all these different gifts that God gives to the body of Christ. He chooses. He, he distributes the gifts out individually, just the way he wants them to. And everybody doesn't have the same gift. They're not supposed to. Some have this gift, some have that gift. And he says, God arranges these gifts specifically and on purpose. He says, here's the deal. You cannot say, because, here's that comparison, because I'm not this, then I guess I just am nobody. Christians do that all the time. Oh, I, I don't ever get up in front of people. I just can't speak in front of people. I guess I just don't matter. I don't have that ministry like they have that ministry. I guess I just don't matter. I wish God would give me some important ministry. Can I tell you something? Every ministry is important. Can I tell you something right now? There is no way on this planet that I would be here doing what I'm doing had it not been for people whose ministry was a behind-the-scenes prayer. Many of them have gone on to be with the Lord and receive their reward. Some of you are still here and you're praying for me every day. And there is no way I could be here doing what I'm doing without you. Matter of fact, I believe, and I, I can't give scripture and verse for this, so I may be, but I really believe that when we get to heaven one day, you will receive the reward, maybe even more so than me, for whatever I've done. And that's not just you in this room, but others who have prayed for me through the years. That gift is so important. I can tell you specifically, you've heard me say this before, there have been times I would have resigned years ago, decades ago, in times of great discouragement, and every single time, that very day, I would either get a phone call, or a card in the mail, or a letter, or somebody would just drop by out of the blue and say, I just felt like I should pray for you today. Now in the age that we're in now, it might be a text. Every time I've needed it, God moved in somebody's heart to say just the right thing at just the right time. I would not be here doing this had it not been for that. Now, I don't know what all I may have done in this pulpit, but I'll tell you something, whatever I've done would have not been accomplished or would have been short-circuited decades ago had it not been for the encouragers. One of the greatest gifts the body of Christ needs today is the gift of encouragement. If you have that gift, don't you ever underestimate that gift. It keeps people going. Understand, God doesn't look at gifts like, well, this one's big and that one's small. This one's important and that is less important. It doesn't matter what your gift. You just do what God's called you to do. You let other people do what God's called them to do. You just fit and stay in your lane. Don't compare yourselves with other people. The Bible says all such comparison is foolish. Don't do it. You'll never walk in peace that way. Just understand, God, I'm so glad you called me. I'm so glad you saved me. I'm so glad that you gave me whatever gift you gave me. God, help me to do this all for your glory and for your honor. And God, thank you for everybody you've placed around me. Thank you for their gift. They may not do the same thing I do, but God, help me to celebrate whatever it is that they do. I want to be their encouragement. I want to give them hope when they're without hope. I want to speak peace into their life when they're walking through a different difficult time. Thank you for surrounding me with the body of believers. And God, right now, I thank you, God, for the people that you've placed in my life that are broken, that are defeated, that are discouraged, that are bound by sin. God, I can recognize the sin that they're walking in. And it is sin because you called it sin. But God, I'll never stop loving them because you never stop loving them. So help me to reach out with grace. Help me to reach out with encouragement. Help me to reach out with hope. Help me to find a way to insert myself into their life so so that they can know that no matter where they turn, when they finally 
hit bottom if that's what it takes, they know they can call me. They know they can come to my house. They know that they can reach out to me and I will be there for them because I choose to love them. And God, if other people think differently than I think, help me not to judge on surface values because what I see on the surface may not have anything to do with what's really going on under the scenes. How many of you have put on a smile in this place many times when you didn't feel like smiling? One of the funniest things I ever heard my pastor say is that he actually watched somebody as they were pulling into the parking lot and he could see them. They didn't know they were watching. It's kind of like me, I guess, looking from the doors, watching people come in and said he could see them in the car just bickering and arguing. And, and then they got out of the car and shut the door and straightened up with a smile on their face as if everything was fine. And when you saw them walk in, you thought everything was glorious with their family. The truth is they were going at it and probably the minute they left church, unless God did a miracle in the service, they probably went right back and picked up where they left off. Anybody ever had a Sunday like that? You know why we're human? We're human. Never judge anything by what you see on the surface. Matter of fact, could we just go ahead and take this as wisdom? Just don't judge anything at all. You know, the Bible actually says don't judge anything before it's time. You know what, what Jesus actually said? See, you will not walk in peace as long as you think you're somebody else's judge. Because, see, when you're trying to be somebody else's judge, you're trying to sit in the place of God. And can I tell you something? You're not smart enough or good enough to do that. I don't care how good you are. Well, where do you get that from? I got it from Jesus. Because, see, in Matthew chapter 7, he says, Judge not that ye be not judged. As a matter of fact, he said, With the exact same measure that you... Ooh, with the exact same measure that you use to judge somebody else, it's going to come right back to you. So however you choose to judge somebody, get ready. Somewhere, someday, it's coming home. The, Jesus went on to say, there is only one judge and one lawgiver, and he is God. So you who try to set and judge others, you, he said you're trying to put yourself in the place of God. Do you know one reason that I've learned to walk in peace? Because I've learned it's not my job to judge. Oh, Christians, get this. It's not even my job to save. It is not my job to deliver. It is not my job to heal. It is not my job even to give wisdom. I can give you the word, and it has wisdom. But not, see, I can't save one person. I can't deliver one person. I can't heal one person. I can't set one captive free. I do not have that ability. Jesus does. It is my job to represent, speak, show, and live Jesus. It's my job to love people. Since it's not my job to judge, then I can be at peace and say, I'm just going to love you and let God do the rest. And how many of you know God's pretty good at what he does? Amen? He's able to take care of business, and we can then just focus. And you know what that does? It makes your life so much simpler. I can actually be scrolling through Facebook and read something I don't agree with and I can just move right on and not feel like I have to say a word or even get mad about it. See? My life is at peace. You say, well, Pastor, I wish I could be like you and never have a problem. Oh, I didn't say that. Well, you said you're always at peace. No, I didn't quite say that either. I said I've learned a lot about walking in peace. Some days I forget everything I learned. Some days I actually hear something or read something and it sets me off like a firecracker. Sometimes I watch the news, not as much as I used to. And you know why? Because it sets me off like a firecracker. 
My wife and I always say it has become just what we rehearse in our house. If, you, if there's one statement we make more than anything else, is people are crazy. People are insane. Every time I think I've seen it all, just hold on about 10 minutes, and I promise you, if something's going to come up and you're sitting there thinking, what is wrong with people? But you know what? Unless they give me entrance into their life, all I can do is pray for those people. I can't do anything else. You say, well, what happens about our nation? Well, I can pray, and I can vote what I believe is biblical, and I can call my representatives and my senators, and I can live right. And you know what? That's flat out all I can do. And if, if this nation has a revival, which I pray for, we're going to see it prosper. If this nation doesn't, we may see some very terrible things in this nation. And if that happens, we will be like every other nation filled with Christians on the face of this planet, just like they've been all of your life. We may even be persecuted. And do you know what? Outside of America, almost every nation on the face of this planet, that's been going on a long, long time. Christians are dying today because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've been dying as long as you've been alive, tortured, and imprisoned because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been so blessed to live in this nation. So you say, but I get all tore up and upset about it. Well, there's no reason to get all tore up and upset about it because Jesus actually said anybody who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will, not might, will suffer persecution. There are some things that are going to come your way flat out, pure and simple. There's not a thing you can do. If what's happening in your life is because of your faith in Jesus Christ, he said rejoice and be exceedingly glad for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you're going through something right now because of a stand you took for Christ and you know it, he literally said in the Greek jump up and click your heels together and spin around in the air because reward is coming your way but if what you're going through is because you refuse to stop worrying about other people's problems and because you refuse to stop comparing yourself with other people and because you refuse to, to, to stop worrying about everything around you that can be changed if you will choose to get a hold of your mind and dwell on the promises of God and let God deal with the people around you and move where God calls you to move and otherwise we say this all the time, and I don't think we really know what we're saying. Let God be God. Charismatic. Let God be God. Hallelujah. Well, what's he going to be other than that? That's the only thing he knows how to be, folks. He, he's just flat God. It don't matter whether you give him permission or not. He's going to be. But what do we really mean? Well, we think we mean let God be God. We're going to have goosebumps running up down our back, and your service is going to be glorious. Well, Maybe. But letting God be God means that we let him do what he does and let us do what he calls us to do. And even that we have to do through his strength. Do you know if you can live your life that way, you'll walk in peace. But you've got a part to play. You may have to choose to limit the content that comes into your life. You may have to choose to highly filter the content that comes into your life. You're going to have to choose to pray about the problems that you see and then get up and let them go. Oh, but you see, every time we bring, and I, I, boy, I'm not trying to upset anybody. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Every time we bring something to God in prayer, and then we get up 
and walk away and our mind is still fixated on that thing, do you know what that means? That means that all you did was talk, but you never trusted. Now, please understand, I do it, okay? I'm not pointing my finger at you. I do that a lot. I'll think I'm praying, which means I talk and talk and talk to God about my problem. But you see, then I walk away and I'm just as upset about my problem. I'm just as angry about my problem. I'm just as worried about my problem. I'm turning and twisting, turn, tossing and turning in bed at night about my problem. All that says is, all I did was talk, but I never trusted God with my problem. See, prayer, when you really are talking to God and you're trusting Him, what He wants you to do is give it to Him and let it go. Let it go and walk in peace. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. Thank you, Jesus.